you've tuned into all things fine and gentry with the connoisseur french thompson where consistently we bring you ideas concepts and exposure to thoughtful content lifestyle enhancements and opportunities to improve yourself and those around you thank you for tuning in and taking a listen to this week's episode Welcome, welcome, welcome back all. Welcome to another episode of All Things Fine and Gentry. This is the connoisseur, French Thompson. Thank you all for tuning in today. And uh, as I say every week, I appreciate all those that have subscribed um, for, for being a part of this. I'm, I'm loving the, uh, the kind words and the affirmations I receive it. Uh, and if you all know people that, that need to hear uh, something, Share it, share this, like it, leave some reviews and whatever podcasting platform that you're listening on. It helps me to know that I'm on the right path and it helps me to know that I'm giving you all the the information that you all need. Again, you can also subscribe or follow me on IG at all things fine and gentry. And uh, here we go. So I'm excited about this episode. I have a, a, a great guest um, on today that um, I've been really thinking about this topic for a while to kind of talk about and engage in. And as kids are going back to school, it um, is is a big part of it as well. And so and so as we uh, uh, tune into it, um, have a, a special guest today and it's Dr. Jamal Williams. Um me and him have, have known each other for a while. I connected with him back when um, I was in, in Texas and met him at Freedom Church and uh, been connected with him ever since. And I hit him up uh, earlier uh, this week or last week saying, hey, man, I would love to have a conversation with you uh, about education. <clears throat> and so before I kind of dig all the way into it, uh, I would love for, for Jamal, you just kind of give us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? Uh, where'd you grow up uh, and, and kind of, uh, well, we'll dive in there into the conversation. All right. Hey, first of all, I appreciate the opportunity to be on the podcast. Uh, so definitely been uh, seeing my man French for a minute since we met at uh, Freedom Church. Uh, it's unique. We actually met kind of kind of connected in, in, a, in a very Southern way over a fish fry. Right. Uh, <laughs> At the church, Chris Fryer, we were working together. Uh, my man came out with the chef's outfit, with the chef's shirt on. He had a thermometer in the pocket. He was ready to roll. Uh, me and Carrie were just there, just trying to uh, eyeball that the fish was ready. Uh, Prince was like, now nah, you got to do temperature. He was ready to go. I knew at that point, this is a, a, a dynamic person, and I, I, I'm definitely going to be picking up tools from him. So I'm never going to uh, live down that fish fry. <laughs> it, was a, it was a great opportunity uh, a little bit of back about me uh, my dad uh, was a, a teacher uh, educator at the time my mom had just became an educator and uh, they were making about $12,000 a year teaching uh, so probably about 25 maybe my dad made five at that time made a little bit more so I think provided maybe made 27 combined uh, it was a family of three, and they was like, this is not going to work. Uh, you know, things were starting to really turn at the time of Gary. The meals were closing. Um, 
people were really trying to figure out, you know, what's going to be next. The city, the schools weren't doing good. Um, so they uprooted and moved us to Fort Worth, Texas. So this actually is all a part of my share, started my pathway into education. That's um, what's up. It's very unique. Like, uh, we, I think you see on Facebook, uh, people talk about who was your first black teacher, what grade were you when your first black teacher? Uh, mine was pre-K. Uh, uh, my dad was my first teacher, and um, we have a very unique relationship because uh, I actually attended the same school he worked at. Mm. So from kindergarten to fifth grade, for every day, we rode together to school. You know, I was Mr. Williams' son <laughs> uh, through all those years. Uh, it was very... Uh, uh, I look back on it, and I think how impactful that was uh, to have that opportunity. Probably when I was a kid, I probably took it for granted. Uh, it was like, oh, I got to go to school. Uh, because going to, when you're a teacher's kid, going to school means you have to arrive early and you have to stay late. Uh, my dad is my dad uh, uh, was an art teacher at the elementary school. Uh, so he did all the projects. Anything that was needed at the school, shirt design, mm-hmm. uh, poster design. Uh, he would do immaculate signs for the school every year. Uh, it was just amazing, just the design work that he did. Um, he was way ahead of his time on some of the graphic stuff that he was actually putting together. Uh, he did it. And I think my dad, uh, I think for my dad, uh, he wasn't, he was more happy that he had free, he basically had free art supplies, right? <laughs> had everything at his disposal, so he did. But it, it was truly a blessing. Um, so so, so I, have a, I, have, wish, I have a question here. Um, so, I mean, you, you ended up in education um, and essentially, you know, rising to the highest level there. Uh, and a lot of a lot of kids, as they watch their parents grow up, um, they make a choice very early on of if I'm going to go down that path or not. Right. Either they're seeing the joy that their parents have in that career or uh, they're seeing the I don't call it struggle, but whatever uh, uh, challenges that uh, that their parents have along the way. Um, and so like legit. You know, it wasn't just, oh, my dad's a teacher and I, I've seen it, you know, see him come home and go to work. But like legit, you were like his co-worker in some ways. Um, so, you know, w- when did it click for you? Like, hey, I, I actually want to pursue that path as well. Like, this is very interesting. I, I, I haven't known any um, uh, teachers kids that have legit gone to be teachers. So I'm curious about that, especially, you know being around him and being with him almost every day? Um, so the unique thing is that uh, I I would say I learned probably around the age of 28, 26. Yeah, 26, 26. So I was working on my master's uh, that I did not want to. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, I learned pretty quickly uh, that I did not want to uh, actually be in a classroom mm. with anybody uh, from K to 12. I learned really quickly that uh, my area or my gift in this area was support. Mm. Uh, I can support 
educators. I can support students. Um, I can work on programs um, to make sure that education systems are successful, that students are act- have access to opportunities, exposure. Uh, that's when I kind of looked at it. Um, one of my favorite books is, uh, this goes back to education, back to college, was uh, My Red Invisible Man. Mm-hmm. So uh, Ralph Emerson, yeah. uh, great book, uh, it's just amazing. Uh, but one of the things he said, the, the world is a possibility if you'll discover. That's good. So when I actually start doing more self-discovery about myself and about the world and the possibilities, I learned more that there's more to education than just teaching in the classroom. There's more to education than just being an assistant principal or a principal. Um, But there are people that are program specialists, they're coordinators, uh, they're directors of of departments. So when I started figuring, seeing that, I said, okay, I can do this. Uh, I can can make this happen. So let me find the right area that works best for me. So, in my undergraduate work at the University of North Texas, uh, got an undergraduate degree in psychology. I loved that time. And I actually had my, my first uh, black university professor, Dr. Francis Carroll. Love that guy. That dude uh, is, was probably uh, imparted more into me than probably about 20 words that he would say. And um, what, what his did, thing what did was. He teach? Uh, he taught uh, psychology. He taught okay. abnormal psychology, uh, the upper level uh, psychoanalysis. And what I learned about him was uh, he was a guy. Uh, you have to remind. First of all, you have to African American PhD psychology, uh, not from Texas. He's from the Midwest. Uh, and what I learned about him uh, definitely, which kind of frame up, you can be. A, uh, what's the word I want to put for him? Uh, he was a little bit eccentric. Um, <laughs> some days didn't quite know what he was wearing. Mm. Uh, some days, uh, just you know, you know, you. I mean, he. You know, some days you look and you think like that a woman's blouse you have on. And, and you know, you, because you, he just the Texans can't handle that. You know that. <laughs> no, no. So and no, and not and not twenty uh, one year old uh, Jamal at that time. I'm like, what is going on here? Uh, but he was, you know, and you know, and everybody it was, you know, for most of the Af- African American guys and females that are in the class, we like, yo, this dude weird. <laughs> you know, this is a weird professor. Uh, but I think one day, I think I didn't do too good on one of my tests. Uh, he. I went in there and I asked him some questions about it. He said, you need to come by my office and see mm-hmm. talk about it. I was nervous because, again, he's very eccentric, so I don't know what I'm about to walk into. So I go to his office, classic university professor office, one wall full of just books, mm-hmm. right? Uh, on his desk, papers all around. He's got a dead plant in the corner, you know. So we sit down. We had this conversation. So what I what I later found out, he he has this persona in the classroom mm. where he made it that he's very you know, hey, you're gonna learn here. Uh, you may not 
if you want to learn more about psychology, you have to dig deep. You have to understand and learn from a person. Have to sit down and have that dialogue. So when I went to that office, we sat down and talked, and he, he outlined me. He said, what is your plan? Wow. Uh, and watch what's about to happen. And uh, at that time, I was my senior. I was a senior year uh, of college. And uh, he said, well, if you want to make it in psychology, you have to get a PhD. Mm. Uh, at that time, I had been working in the psychology department in our counseling center, uh, just front desk, checking people in, working on styles. And I'm always around the clinical psychology. I see how stressed they are all the time. <laughs> Uh, the, the clinical psychology program is a seven-year program. Goodness. Uh, it's, it's intense, so it's, it's wow. So I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm seeing you guys, like stressed out all the time. I'm not doing all that. So he's like, you have to get this PhD. Well, you know, I don't know, man. I think I just want to take time off, you know, figure out, relax, you know, because we all want to have a gap year, right? That's like right. That gap year yep. after, we, after we graduate. Uh, he says, no. You, you, listen, listen, listen. If you, uh, if you sit here and I'll work with you, uh, I can get you in the North Texas Psychology Department program. I'll mentor you mm. and I'll get you through the PhD program. Mm. Now, mind you, that was at 21, mm. probably just at 21. So, in hindsight, I would have had my doctorate at 20. <laughs> 28 uh here i am 40 <laughs> right um at 28 and probably would have re you know really shaped my my entire you know, education career if i had just listened to that advice and i always kick myself uh when i think about that experience so uh you know that's where i, I really thought like man, mentoring is a, is a that is a valuable tool. Uh, one of the things like my dad had always taught is uh, just talk about the background a little bit back. And I'm not going to make this about my dad because my mom listens to this. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but one of the things, he, he grew up without a father. He listened to with around his grandfather's spot, uh, but he didn't grow up. His father lived in the same town, but he, didn't, he wasn't around him. So, when you don't really grow up around a male's voice uh, or male's guidance, grandfather's there, you uh, have to really learn to discern uh, why guidance, right? So you have to really figure out whose voices are key in your life, right? Hey, so a lot hey, of times- I'm just going to pause right there. That's a do-rag download. For, <laughs> for those who have not tuned in, y'all got to listen to do-rag downloads, but that's good. Being able to have a- the ear for wise guidance, man. Cause you gonna have a lot of people talking, right. people talking every day, but being able to yeah. hear and, and know when it's good. That's good. That's good. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, you're right. I mean, you have to have that and you got to think about it. If you're not around, uh, you know, somebody that's providing that for you, you have to figure out who to listen to and who not to listen. To. Mm. Um, so he kind of instilled that in us, uh, you know, not growing up with a father, you know, you have to kind of do fatherhood trial and error. You know, uh, so again, I'm the youngest. Uh, so first, you know, he sisters, uh, the oldest sister, so he rolled that out with her, right? <laughs> he kind of figured that out as a young dad. Uh, then he kind of, you know, he got a son, mm-hmm. so he tried to figure those, protect himself with the son, 
then when he kind of got when I came around, um, you know, he got to really spend a lot more time. You know, mm. like I said, we had all those times in the cars together. Uh, we had all that time, you know, during school, after school. You know, I'm in the you know the garage project doing with him. So he always talked to me about discerning our uh, council. He never had a lot of people around, like friends around. Mm. Uh, all of his good friends you know, really were back in the area. They made some good friends here, but they were very small, tight circles. Oh. Uh, very small, tight circles. Kind of uh, reflecting on that. Uh, he had to make sure uh, was tight. Um, you know, an aspect of education that sometimes we don't think about, uh, one of the things that really shaped uh, his life is uh, he was a football player, and uh, he didn't know what he was going to do after uh, college, uh, high school. Um, and his buddy, uh, Gerald Smith, uh, Smitty, you call him, uh, he, back in the day, they had some old, some oh, old Of course, students. Smitty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he, uh, he spent actually a college highlight reel. Mm. Uh, you gotta mind you, this is actually film, real, real film. Oh, yeah. Defiance College. And he spent it in Ohio, and he sent it to them, and they actually said, hey, we'll, you know, come play football for us. And he also sent film of my dad. And because he sent that film of my dad, uh, he got to go to college. That's amazing. He got to uh, get a scholarship. So, again, so he's always indebted uh, to Daryl uh, for him going actually going to college. Uh, because while he was in college, uh, you know, they, uh, they, my sister was born. So mm-hmm. he was in Ohio. So he's having to go back and forth to train my mom. Same with my grandmother at the time. Um, but that, you know, that's all a part of the, the college experience, too. You know, uh, he had a very atypical college experience, uh, but he made it through and got a degree, which really uh, kind of shifted, you know, complete narrative for our family. Um, I would always say for education, it's a complete change. That's good. So, uh, that's interesting, right? Because um, oftentimes, um, I would say in certain social economic uh, areas, uh, education is assumed that uh, it's assumed that you're going to make it through high school. It's assumed that you're going to go to college, get a four year degree. And, and depending on your parents and your social circle, it may be assumed that you get an advanced degree as well. But I think we take that for granted, right? We take education for granted and the impact that it has on us as people holistically, but even more importantly, as black, uh, as black people, and then, you know, wittering it down some more as black men, the importance of education. And to your, your point, right, it's not just uh, education as far as having the paper, but the experiences that you get along the way, the mentorship that you get, the uh, exposure to a different level of thinking that you get by actually uh, in, engaging in education. And you know, it, it, it hurts me a lot when I talk to young folks or even when I think back to my uh, time uh, in school that you took that time for granted, right? That you didn't... Um, truly engage with all those teachers, everyone that is there that truly wants to pour into you and, and 
try to create opportunities for you, you kind of brush it off like, oh, like you said, that guy's just eccentric or that lady, she's mm-hmm. just a little crazy. Um, but the value of that mentorship, the value of that guidance, uh, and, and to your point, like you said, hey, you know, if I had taken the initial guidance, you know, I would have had my PhD potentially at 28 versus getting it at 40. I mean, now let's not belittle the fact that you do have your PhD, right? Listen, I mean, let's just, I mean, because most people you don't know that anything on the end of their, their names, right? Unless it's a suffix, right? And so um, it, it's kudos for that. But being able to heed wise counsel or even just somebody planting the seed, right? Because theoretically, that may not have been in your head to say, hey, uh, pursue the PhD, but somebody planting that seed and, you know, it has to get it has to be planted in fertile soil. It has to get watered. It has to get nurtured for you to even be able to say, hey, this is the path that I want to go um, versus because, I mean, you said it right. You're a senior in college. You're not really thinking about much beyond getting out, making some money, doing whatever else you want to do versus, hey, <laughs> let me spend another four, five, six years in college, uh, pursuing more degrees or learning more after you've just done four years. And I mean, I think that's interesting about the education system overall, but we, we can dive into that a little bit more. But I think, I think that's really good. Just kind of, like you said, the education in your father changed the trajectory for your whole family, you know? And yeah. I think that's a really important nugget that people need to understand that what you're learning now, be it formal education, whatever you're doing to nurture yourself, that is really important for you to be able to grow. Um, and, and that changes the path that you're, that you're going in. Yeah. And, you know, it's, um, so like when we think about like where I'm, like my education, like now versus the other path, um, when I got into, like I said, I, I wanted, I got into psychology. I really liked it. I, you know, I thought when I got my master's, I thought I really wanted to work as a counselor. Like mm-hmm. there weren't, I thought earlier, when all the black counselors, uh, there wasn't anybody really digging into, you know, uh, working on like, mental health issues for African Americans, mm-hmm. period, at that time, right? Uh, or even the, you know, us discussing a period about who we were. I remember uh, one time uh, I gave my parents a first, after I started learning, I got really, I, I'm still, I still like it a lot, but I really got, I did a deep dive in uh, personality, Myers Briggs. Yeah, I got certified. I got certified in it. It was crazy. I mean, I was going on like six day training. It was. I got deep into it. But um, but when I got into that, you know, and I understanding uh, about that, it helped me understand more that we we really need to learn more about ourselves. Mm-hmm. Have a deep dive about who we are. Uh, and really kind of do a self analysis. Uh, and I learned a lot about that. Um, but. At that time, I think it was in the early, uh, about the late 2000s, probably about 2006, excuse me, 2003, uh, about 2003 or so, uh, when I started grad school, I uh, went to a program at the University of Houston. Um, there weren't a, weren't a lot of black people in the council mm-hmm. folks at all. Um, and I had to uh, really figure out, you know, this time it was like also identity too. Like, yeah. Who am I as a person? Who am I as a black male? Um, my brother was living in Houston. Um, he got a fellowship at Indy Anderson, so I was able to stay with him. That's good. Uh, for a little while until I got my own place. Uh, so I went through this whole process of trying to, I mean, Houston uh, was just, first of all, it's the first, the largest city I've 
first time I ever lived in a big city. Mm. Um, and it's it, sometimes that's odd to say in Texas, but, uh, when there's 3000 people <laughs> in one place, right. uh, it's a big, it's a big city. I, and I, I may be actually more than that. Uh, but it was, uh, it was an overwhelming place. Uh, there were so many opportunities, so many things to see. Uh, as I look back at it, I actually was on the tip of the iceberg of what I would do. Yeah. Uh, but actually, in Houston, was actually the first time I actually experienced probably failure in education for the first time. Interesting. Um, in my graduate program, at the end, uh, I had a practicum. Um, I, I'm going to give the abbreviated story. <laughs> And uh, I've healed, healed from this place, right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 moved, I moved from this, fall, this fallen place. Uh, so uh, I, I ended up failing my practicum, failing the practicum that I had. I couldn't graduate. Mm. Uh, so I actually had to move back home. Wow. <laughs> uh, so one of the things, even in undergrad, the biggest thing, and, you know, this was at that time, like, the motivation for me, like when I was, uh, you know, even in undergrad was, uh, was not failing. It was not moving back home, right? And and I and I failed, uh, and, I, and it was a tough time. Uh, I was depressed. Uh, I went through depression mm. uh, probably for you know a good three months or so. I, I I literally remember one day just laying in my bed not going to work uh, because I, I failed and I didn't know how to uh, figure out a place you know out from here. Um, I remember, uh, you know, I had just ended up going to like this one night. I just like, I got up, it was a Wednesday afternoon. Um, I was like, you know what, this is, I got to figure something out. You know, I went back with always guided me to the church. Uh, it was always religious. Um, God steered me to a little small church. Uh, I was the only black person in there. Mm. Uh, but they did a midweek Bible study. And um, two things happened. There. One, um, they gave me a handout for the for the uh, like a handout. It was like a fill in the blank handout for the for the, for the study. Yeah. And the pastor would be through, and then you fill in the blank with the answer he gives, you <laughs> know, for the message. Um, but I needed that. That at a time I needed. I was at that point where I was so uh, low uh, in my life that I needed to be fed in that way. That's right. Good. I need to be fed in a way where it was digestible for me. Mm. Um, the other thing that happened there too is that that church they passed around sign and prayer list, and you would put whatever you had to pray for list. So I, I put, you know, I'm disappointed about food, you know, whatever I put on there. Uh, but I ended up coming back. I, I think I missed the following Wednesday, but I came back two weeks later. This lady came up to me and she said, you're the one who's in school, right? Yeah. She says, well, how are things going? Mm. I said, what? Uh, I mean, they're okay. Well, I, we prayed for you. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, anyhow, that I just you know that happened and that was real. But then I ended up having to uh, go back home. I went back home for two years. Uh, well, no, excuse me. I went back home for about six months, six to eight months. Reapplied. Had to go back. I uh, had to live down there. I had to actually live in an official uh, for like seven months. Uh, Why finish up this degree? Uh, greatest greatest time I learned there. 
uh, which I probably should discover. Well, I'm discovering now. Less is more. Yeah. Uh, that's real. <laughs> so I did go back and I did visit that, that church and uh, they had switched pastors, but um, some of the people were still attending. I talked to them a little bit. Small tech, gave them the testimonies I were at. I did help. It was a part of my process. But what I what I learned about that, which I've taken in my profession, is that uh, no remembering your students and the interactions you have with them, just following those things, means a lot. Means a lot. Um, sometimes uh, I've made the connections with students. Uh, and I just followed up. I see them if I saw them on, on campus. I just stopped them and said, "Hey, well, how did you ever figure out how to get this text? Or did you ever figure out?" You know how to get through this class, and they like you remember that, <laughs> you know. Um, and and that church taught me that you know those relationships matter. Um, the biggest thing I, I feel is that uh, sometimes that's missing in education is development of relationship between the professor and the staff. The students. Um, why why, why do you feel that way? Like, where where do you feel that that? that gap is either introduced or why do you feel that gap is there? Well, first of all, I think the gap is there because uh, uh, education, a lot of times, especially higher education, more of a transactional relationship. Right? Mm-hmm. You say, uh, I come, as a student, I come to class, I, I hear the lecture from the instructor. As, as the instructor, I'm paid to lecture the student mm-hmm. uh, because I'm the content-based content, uh, expert you're here to learn from me. So it's a very transactional relationship, right? You know, it's a, you know, if they would say at some people, at some old institutions, you know, you want, you know, you got that degree from the, the one of the, the, the old stockiest, I'm going to talk about the, the PWI one. Yeah. Um, Michigan, where it's the sit and get, right? You're in these large lecture halls. It's the sit and get. And um, what we missed out from that is that some students can thrive, right? Because they're self-motivated. Uh, they can, they can, they can process the information. They can get the knowledge, and they're good to go, right? But some students need a relationship where they need to like, well, well can you tell me more how you got there, right. or where can I get more information about this? And it needs to have that that open relationship needs to be there where it needs to be more relationship. Um, at the bigger institutions, I've learned, and I've been at big, small, and community colleges. Uh, where I found is that at the bigger sometimes you don't get that. You don't get that relationship uh, where you're going to interact with the professor. Uh, because at the bigger institution, they're also having to do research, they're having to mm-hmm. do papers. Yep. Uh, some of them, teaching is just a, uh, a necessary evil. A necessary <laughs> evil. <laughs> That's why I tell, I tell people all the time, like people have asked me, hey, what's the difference between going to an HBCU and a, a predominantly white institution, PWI, and I'm like, look, you know, there are a lot of differences, but at these larger schools, like they're there for the research, they're there for the resources to be able to. I mean, it's it's a uh, an exacerbated version of what you were talking about with your dad, right? That he was there for the art supplies. You you have a lot mm-hmm. of these these professors that are there for the research, right? For the labs, for the ability to get mm-hmm. published, and that creates a tension between. The student that's there to to learn and be to your point nurtured uh, versus the the professor that's there so that they can add more uh, publications to their to their resume, et cetera. 
Uh, so I do have mm-hmm. a question. Um, you know, you're kind of talking about, you know, the kind of the, I would call it the bookmarks or the milestones along the way in your educational journey. Um, and, you know, you had spoke about how uh, there's not a lot of men, not a lot of black men. Um, so one, from your perspective, why do you think there's such a gap between men and women in education, right? Like legitimately, my son, who's six years old, has not had a male teacher except for one who was not a male primary teacher. He had one male teacher who was the music teacher in his kindergarten class, but has not had a male teacher. And and I started thinking about this, like, will he have a male teacher, let alone a black male teacher, which I want to get to next. But from your perspective, you've been in this game and we talked about this as we kind of prep for this. Hey, this is your 10th year in education and higher ed. Um, what, what, why is there a gap there between men and women in education? You know, honestly, I would say, uh, honestly, a little bit of that, I would say it's, it's regional. Uh, okay. I would say it depends on your location. Um, the biggest thing I've found is about um, why the lack sometimes of male uh, educators in the South, um, especially on the higher education side, um, one, uh, there's zero representation a lot of times in the South, right? Uh, outside of your HBCU, but it's your large uh, PWIs, it's a very limited place to be. Right? All right. Uh, and what I found from a lot of uh, higher education, uh, African American males, they want to be around their other peers and other intellectuals. Mm. So they gravitate more to your uh, to your Midwest, to your Chicago area, East, uh, and also, um, edu- I like to call it educational role, the Carolina, right? Mm, so yeah. North Carolina, South Carolina, the Virginia area, uh, you know, up into uh, D.C., uh, you know, that's where you see all of our, our black uh, intellectuals, our black uh, higher ed professionals are in those areas. Um, they're, they're here in the South, but they're, they're few and far between. That's good. Uh, that's also, good what I've also found, uh, what I've also found, there's a, there's a, also seems to be a higher concentration of more African-American male uh, uh, higher professionals sometimes in community colleges. Mm. Uh, typically, because in your in your larger community colleges, you are going to have more administrators of color uh, okay. uh, in those higher ed positions. Um, typically, they either came through um, Typical programs of like upper bound, uh, you know, student activity, student affairs. Right. Uh, they've got an adjunct position uh, and they've raised up to south of this area. You'll see a little bit more concentration there. And then even there is a struggle uh, for us to get on. Um, it was very, I had a unique opportunity when I worked at TCC uh, where I was probably at the I'm sorry. County College. There you go. I was about to so, say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry. Uh, I, I, I remember Tarrant County College in uh, Fort Worth. Um, well, they probably had the highest, where I was living, the highest concentration after marriage. Uh, of course, the president had a PhD, my VP had a PhD, uh, and then a lot of the other professionals around us all had the doctor. So it was almost like, yo, if you're trying to move here and do any of these levels, you got to get this doctor. You got to get those letters behind you. That, that, that's very, um, so, all right. I got, it's very, very interesting, right? So you've talked about like these, um, 
these incubators and or uh, concentrations. And the, I mean, I think that you would have you, you, you threw my mind for a loop. And I'm sure the other listeners on this podcast realize that even at that you probably find a larger concentration at a lot of these community colleges, et cetera, uh, which is very important. Right. Because the folks that are. Uh, either don't have the resources to go to college, like to a regular four year, or people are saying, hey, I'm just going to dibble my toe into education, into, you know, uh, uh, pursuing undergraduate or graduate uh, education like that. That's for a lot of people is where their first interaction with uh, higher education. And I think it's it's heartening to know that there is a, a good number of us, um, of, of men, as well as black men, uh, at these institutions. Cause I think that gives a, uh, a more of a hope per se to, to folks saying, Hey, I want to pursue this would be nice to have somebody that actually cares or looks like me or wants to see me succeed. And so that's, that's a, I think that's a factoid that I, I would not have known. Um, but that's, that's really interesting. And then the fact that you're saying, Hey, they're telling you, if you want to do more, if you want to achieve, then get some letters behind your name uh, and not yep. Greek. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> I mean, I, we, we won't, I won't go there. I was going to throw some stuff out there later on, but, you know. <laughs> so so, uh, so, but, so I have a question just kind of in that, in, that, um, in that vein, right? So we talked about kind of like traditional four-year uh, education community college, uh, college. He talked about the difference between, um, HBCUs and PWIs. Um, what there, there appears to me to be a a shift or a trend in education from kind of your traditional learning to more of this, uh, charter school or non-traditional private school. Um, and they kind of, do you feel that um, you, you will see more down that path and or do you believe that there's a, a larger place for organizations like that? Amazing segue. Uh, <laughs> one of the things we see now is that um, the the public, I, so a couple of things have happened. So uh, a lot of times what, you, what you've seen in uh, probably in, uh, in New York, in California, uh, even parts of California, uh, Chicago, now they're happening. I'd say the greatest example Texas, where it's happening, Highland Park, is uh, communities where what they're trying to push, develop, what are called uh, public private, right? Mm. Public private, uh, where they're where they are they're uh, publicly funded, but they're privately uh, almost uh, private sense placement mm. because the public school is is in an area where you have to make a certain amount of money living, mm-hmm. live in the school district. Um, if you don't, you're not going to get in. Uh, you're not going to get sometimes busted because the boundaries are very uh, uh, are going to be uh, very restrictive to where you're at. Uh, and Highland Park is probably the best uh, because they carved out in the middle of Dallas their own private, their own public ISD mm-hmm. ISD, but it's uh, basically privately funded because uh, you know the average income of anybody that's at that school is is well in the six figures, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so. That's what the replication that you've seen is going to see now. Um, there are schools, um, uh, it, it's nothing against them, but this is where the model they want to see. They want to see uh, 
there's one of things that's just in development now that's going on, Westlake Academy. Yeah. Um, kind of near out, out, outside of uh, uh, North of Fort Worth, uh, where they developed this charter school uh, there, uh, the public charter. But again, if you don't live in that small, tight mm-hmm. area, mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to go to those. Uh, those things have been developed really a lot in York. Uh, you've seen that Brooklyn, uh, through gentrification, uh, where these predominantly uh, minority schools uh, are existed. But now that you know uh, people are moving out, people, uh, people, uh, white people are moving in. Right. Uh, they're like, well, we need to change the school, right? We right. got to change the culture here. Wow. Uh, so they're coming in. Change the culture, you know, changing the school. <laughs> you just right. dropped that. Right, I mean, right. There's Wow. All right, go ahead. I'm right. sorry. So you're seeing it. Uh, there, there, uh, there are schools in California that are very similar in that same way uh, where there are public schools, but, I mean, it's private. You know? um, and it's, it's very unique, these models that are, are happening. Uh, one of the biggest things that were happening here in our area, uh, so the program just talks about where I'm at now. So, um, so I'm the director of Collegiate Partnership at Texas Western Private Institution. Uh, we only have about 1,500 undergraduate students. Um, overall, students with graduate programs, we probably have about 3,000, 4,000. Mm-hmm. Super small schools, right? Uh, nestled right in the heart of Southeast Fort Worth, right in the middle of the community. Mm-hmm. Um, some would call it, uh, <laughs> we're right there. Right. We're right there. Um, but one of the things we've decided to do is uh, become, instead of be uh, in the community, we've decided to become of a community. That's good. So we've decided to uh, develop programming to uh, connect uh, with the community. So my program that I manage with the, the partnership with the school district, where we provide free college uh, courses called dual credit uh, courses. Mm-hmm. Um, we provide up to 60 hours for our students there at Dunbar High School. Uh, the courses, dual credit classes are all coming from Texas Westland. Um, and what that allows them to do is get them to graduate with 60 hours and graduate with a degree. Nice. They have the option to come into Texas Westland pretty much tuition-free for the next two years mm-hmm. to get to finish out the day. So if we, and I've done the math for the families it's amazing. Uh, just put in mind that Texas Wrestling's tuition, uh, if you include room and board, is $39,000. Come on, man. <laughs> uh, and we're talking about getting upwards to $60,000, uh, 60 uh, credit hours free, and then only having to pay two years. So, you know, what, think about that. What, what's the rate, though, right? So you said you, you're, you're working the math out for some of these families. Say, say out of 100 kids that you're offering this opportunity, being in the area that you're talking about, right, from a socioeconomic perspective, what's the rate of people actually taking that on and saying, I'm going to do it? Is that well over 50%, well over 80 or no. is it, wow. Unfortunately, uh, we had our first graduating cohort. We had 26 students in the class and five of them. Now, uh, you know, some of them, now I'll give you, now some of them in the class did have some other <laughs> opportunities to go, but that's a greater opportunity. But the ones that probably wanted to come didn't. So uh, in my in my dissertation research, I, I talked about African Americans uh, participating in dual credit classes. Uh, so the biggest thing, so let's say the state of Texas, right? Uh, so overall in the state of Texas, we have a hundred thousand students that take dual credit. 
Um, out of that, only 2% are African. Mm. So these programs are complete game changers if you think about for an African-American male or Hispanic male or female in, in their higher education career. Uh, one, as you know, statistically, uh, people of color are, are usually, the, unfortunately, um, have the lower uh, uh, educational attainment. So degree attainment, mm-hmm. uh, we're probably under 30%. Uh, but then, but on the flip side, typically have the highest amount of debt, right? Mm. Uh, because we're either taking out loans or pursuing other opportunities that are not a fit for us. Uh, and we're taking that, you know, we're having to live with that. I'm talking to the families now. And I, what I say is that we're making a generational impact. That's what's up. Educational generational impact. Your son and daughter does not have to take out a loan. Yeah. I have to do anything if they just challenge themselves, and push them through this program. And we'll do everything we can to cover their tuition. Maybe they have to, you know, do those, you know, when they come to Western two years, maybe they have to commute so they don't have to pay the room and board. Right. Stay at home. Uh, but with that, they're pretty much going tuition free. And now you have this tuition free bachelor's uh, that they're, they're able to use move forward to find a job right for work. Uh, as you know, uh, in the company you're with, you've been involved in conversations with the city of Fort Worth about the increase, trying to increase the degree uh, population in the city. Mm-hmm. Why? Because that attracts businesses, right? Right. right? So people look at education as a key indicator of where they want to move companies, right? So if education, you know, people, you know, we, we sometimes dismiss education, but it's big business, right? Yeah. Um, any mayor or any uh, 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 county uh, commissioner would tell you a strong school district will pull in a strong company, mm. right? Uh, that's what people are looking at. And if they look, also companies are looking at degree workforce. So if they're looking at this area and they have these programs doing this investing in their community and seeing they're developing and increasing the degree workforce, they're going to be like, yo, we want to be there. Because this, this community and these universities and these programs are invested in developing a future labor. Uh, and as you know, the corporate environment um, in the future is becoming a lot more diverse because we're producing more people, more minorities are, are graduating from college with degrees. Uh, they're, they're getting advanced degrees and they're moving forward and they're moving through these companies. I, I, I will also, say this. I, I will respectfully slightly disagree with the statement that more companies i think the companies that want to <laughs> no no like like legit right and yeah. and we, we're yeah. probably going to have to make this a two-part two-parter um because there's so much more i want to go in here but i also know that uh, i've talked to uh, Catherine, my wife about this recently that um we believe that we uh woefully overestimated the number of uh of our peers that actually listen to podcasts for a significant period of time <laughs> so i've realized i have to give them some bite-sized stuff but i really want to dig into like one thing that i've realized um in in, in, in even in, in myself there's so many ways that i've grew up, grown up in a bubble of my experiences and a blessed very very blessed experience in life and exposure um, but you know, even with the company, uh, that I've worked for, uh, that I do work for that there still has to be that desire, even of that company to have that diverse workforce, right. That happens through their recruiting that happens through, you know, how, how they promote within their company, all those types of things. And so, you know, I, I think it's a, it's a cycle that, um, that we have to 
dig into, but also try to uh, to modify of uh, you know education in the community uh, as far as just even you know uh, K through twelve, and then getting getting our community into um, into to higher education, getting them into a company where that company sees value in that educated diversity candidate, right? And then um, from there to be able to make the shift to where you actually are promoting that person, right? To where they can then be a uh, decision maker in the recruiting process to start that all over again. Because one thing that I've seen along the way um, is that when you go out to high schools or colleges and you're doing this, you know, the, the, the thing is, well, the recruiters don't look like me. So how do I know the company looks like me? Right. And if I don't, if the company doesn't look like me, or maybe there are people there that look like me, but there's nobody on the middle management or senior management or executive leadership team that look like me. Therefore, I don't know if I want to be that or even go in that career path because the question of, is there a, a place for me there? And so, um, we don't have the dive into that there because I, I, there's a lot to kind of talk about in, in that. And there's a, st- a lot of stuff that you do in the community uh, in that space. But um, I think it's a very interesting kind of place to to for us to kind of chew on and try to understand. And so um, I, I know that uh, you're a, a father of two and your wife is probably saying, uh, sweetheart, it's uh, about that time because so tell her that you will be be featured again on this because there's a lot more I want to talk here. But yeah. as, as we've talked, you've been exposed to a lot, right? You've, you've seen so many different things, uh, your dissertation and the detail behind, hey, what this is what needs to happen to in order to improve and increase the rate of minorities in education and all this other types of uh, these types of things. So you, you, you've a decade has passed and you've gotten here, right? You're at a private institution. You're impacting the community in which you are actually at. Uh, you are uh, an active member of your your Greek institute. You know your 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 uh, your Greek letter organization. Um, yeah. we, we don't we don't necessarily endorse or disendorse any or organizations on this podcast. I'll just say he's a member of a three letter Greek organization. Um, and uh, uh, what's what's next? Right? What's where do you see yourself in the next ten years? Right? If we were to have this conversation and you're saying, hey, I'm 20 years in the game, uh, either one, you can answer it one of two ways. Where would you like to see the efforts of uh, of your work be, have become and or where do you kind of see yourself shifting? If you're talking back to that eccentric professor at UNT and he's saying, what do you want to do? I guess the question is, you know, where where should we where, where should we be looking in the headlines in the newspaper about what you're accomplishing next? I would tell you, I think the next thing that I would, I would for me, uh, my next step, uh, it, I think you talked about a little bit about intentionality. Um, at my institution, there's, there's only one black professor, mm-hmm. male professor. Uh, there's only one black administrator. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, per se, uh, which is me, one black male administrator. Um, uh, which is me. Uh, and I think what we have to do is uh, we're going to have to start having very uh, different conversations uh, with our leadership. Yeah, uh, We have to be very uh, intentional about this. 
But also, too, we also have to uh, take advantage of opportunities as they present themselves. Um, so now I would say even, you know, the position I love is amazing. I love what I'm doing for the community, doing for the kids, uh, what I'm doing for my entire community. Um, but I think what needs to be next is, like, what can I do for that next uh, African-American male uh, or African-American female that's coming to Westland or thinking about Westland? And wants to come work there, does not see an opportunity for them to move up. I think we have to be and open up more, like you said, open open up more doors for those. Yeah. Uh, we need more representation at our institution. Uh, one thing I, we did, I know you mentioned it a little bit earlier uh, when we talk about like a little bit about the gaps with why we see more uh, African American females or uh, or women, I don't know, more women taking over these managers taking over these opportunities is because they're working harder. Um, mm. These spots that are there, um, they are honing more into their craft and developing it more. Um, what I, what I saw a lot do though is, um, uh, you know, I can't remiss not to say anything about my mother, uh, who is a mother, wonderful mother of three, uh, but she was also, uh, you know, in late in her life, she went back and got her, her master's and she became a, a you know, principal wow. uh, of, of one of the, the top middle schools here in Fort Worth. That's awesome. And you have to figure out uh, how to, you know, for uh, a female professional education is juggling, you know, your family life, uh, juggling your professional life. Um, and I think what you're seeing is because they're able to, to do those different dynamics and, and Taking on those responsibilities, concerns, decision making, leadership, they're taking over those positions. They're moving into those roles, uh, and they're excelling at them. Um, they're opening up those doors and those conversations at the table, not only just for for other females, but other for other males too. Uh, I'm I'm often encouraged uh, a lot at my work uh, by our HR director, who is uh, African American, uh, and she's saying that this is a this is a time now where you need to put yourself in position to take advantage of the opportunities at the institution. Mm. Uh, and because you may not think they are there or you may not think that you're necessarily being valued, but you know, she's a reminder that people are watching and people are, are taking are seeing. So I think for us even in this in the professional fear you know, here is that we still have to uh, uh, still be ready for those next moves. Um, and I think that next move is me having a seat at the table at our executive council mm. to provide more uh, diverse dialogue about decisions to make. Uh, when people are talking about, you know, about financial issues with students and they're saying like, yeah, well, they just can't pay and we're just not going to do it. Well, what you also have to understand is, well, some of these students, you say they can't, you're just going to turn them away. They're never coming back. Right. Um, for a lot of time for a, of a student who's coming, and I've had these conversations with students where they went through anxiety just going into an office just trying to talk to somebody because they've never had a, been in a position to advocate for themselves. And if we turn them away, we can lose a student like that, just like that. And if we lose a student, we lose a potential graduate, we lose a potential leader, uh, we can lose a potential change agent. Uh, you know, uh, generational changer. Yeah. We have to make sure that details for opportunities are, are valued. Um, so 
that's why I'm looking at. I'm looking for that 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 ultimate seat at the table. Nice. Uh, one of the things also do, uh, I would say that uh, I've reached a kind of a point in my career now where I'm not necessarily looking for a new like you know you get to a point in some of your career like okay you know it was hot down here I love it but like yo I'm about to move yeah. <laughs> I gotta yeah. go. Uh, I'm at a point where I'm at uh, my institution where I want to be there for the long haul. Nice. I see myself retiring. Uh, there's always, uh, you can talk about it. You know these guys there at Morehouse. They're the career Morehouse for staff, personal, professional. Right. But they're there and they're continually understanding and opening the door for the next bridge stop. So, hey, That's when they're good. like, you know what? When the next brother that has a different name comes into their classroom, <laughs> they're going to be remembered, but like, you know what? I had a friend, and you know, I, and they can talk about that relationship experience about, hey, I, you had to live up to this name all your life, haven't And it's like, you know, and that's a conversation starter, right? It opens up. Uh, I, I had nope, a, I had right. a, yeah, I had a dean at Morehouse. His name was Dean Darden, and he was a similar way. He had been there. He is a, a star water of the institution, and, and that was his goal, right, to to continue to produce the best out of us that we could be. And it sounds like that's what Dr. Jamal Williams will be at Texas Wesleyan. Yeah. That's, that is that's awesome. That's what I want to do, man. That is awesome. Hey, <laughs> man, I, I, I want to thank you for, for taking the time today. Um, this conversation it, it's, it's so rich, right? There's so many nuggets in here that I hope people got and there's going to be a continuation of this conversation in, in, uh, in episodes to come because there's more I want to dig in, especially into, um, you know, we talked about from the education side, but I, I want to, uh, be able to step, uh, off campus with you into the other things that you're seeing, um, and things that you're engaging in, because I think it's a lot to, to be able to share that story. So again, thank you for being on the podcast today. Thank you for taking the time. Thank your wife for giving you this, uh, this period, because, uh, I don't take it lightly. I know the sacrifice that it has to take as well as a, an understanding spouse to allow for you to take some time and, and just talk. So appreciate it, man. And, um, look forward to continuing the conversation in the future. All right, man. Appreciate it. It's been an opportunity, opportunity. Hope, uh, I keep this at the high level. You've been keeping it on this. Uh, <laughs> loving what you've been, what's been doing on this. And, uh, and hopefully I, uh, uh, have the next, next time part two, we can dig a little deeper. Oh, we will. That. Oh, we will. Hey man, appreciate it for all those that have tuned in again. If you have not subscribed, love for you to subscribe, um, follow on, uh, at, uh, all things fine and gentry on Instagram as well as Facebook. And leave a comment, uh, you know, like, share, leave a comment, let us know uh, even where else you would like to hear from Dr. Jamal Williams uh, in the future here. So thank you all so much. And uh, we'll talk to you all later.